podcast for February 25th, 2010. I'm going to go around the table and introduce the guys. So we have Mr. Jeff Simpson. Welcome, Jeff. Good afternoon, everyone. We have Chuck Monster from VegasTripping.com. Hey, Chuck. How's it going? And we have Dr. Dave Schwartz from UNLV's Center for Gaming Research. What's up, Dave? Not too much. I am known for this episode as Cranky Hunter. Um, and you can find me at ratevegas.com. Um, I have to apologize to listeners. Uh, the reason that there hasn't been a show is entirely my fault. I just haven't gotten it together. Um, other stuff going on and, uh, just hasn't come to, just hasn't happened. So, um, I'm sorry. I got some angry emails from people. Um, they were nice, angry, but, uh, demanding new material. So, uh, that's why we're here. And uh, one benefit of taking some time off is that there's lots to talk about. So uh, I think in no particular order, we're going to fire off uh, the very top of the stack and talk a little bit about ARIA. So um, I was there last weekend for another quick visit, and I know, Chuck, you were too because I saw you there. Um, but I found out that Jeff actually was there last week, or the beginning of this week, I think, right, Jeff? Correct. Um, so this is, I think this is uh, very appropriate to, uh, you know, talk a little bit, bit about ARIA. Um, it's fun to experience the opening back in December, and as uh, anybody that goes that uh, was listening or reading, you know, there were some, some problems, but uh, the kind of things that you would expect from a, a new hotel, especially such a massive project. Uh, so now we're about two months in, and, um, you know, this is where the excuses start to uh, ring a little hollow at this point. Um, well, Chuck, you wrote something on Vegas tripping. Can you, can you quickly summarize how your trip was? Uh, yeah, the, the gist of the piece on VT is uh, that the, wor- the words will, have no, will no longer fail me. I now understand Aria completely. Uh, it is the uh, the same wonderful uh, resort you would expect from MGM Mirage, wrapped in a beautiful building. And you know, when you continue to read it, you'll see that that's a very facetious description. Uh, my experience was, uh, you know, the facilities are fantastic. I love that building. I think it's gorgeous. Uh, there are some. You know, flow problems. There are some getting from one place to another place is kind of a drag sometimes problems. But to me, the Achilles heel is the same Achilles heel that uh, seems to affect almost everyone except for Wynn Resorts. They don't seem to know how to make their guests, at least in in my experience there, feel that they are uh, appreciated, wanted, and special. There's a lot of, uh, you know, I've had uh, just some crazy uh, uh, things happen at, at bars, restaurants, you know, waiters just ignoring us while they're whipping each other in the ass with a napkin, you know, like at Serrano of all places, uh, you know, waiting forever to get a check, you know, the, the, the bartender arguing me with me about whether or not I, you know, having a slice of cucumber in my Hendrix gin 
is is a good idea or not. <laughs> you know, it's, these are the things that, you know, it, it would not happen at most other resorts. It seems to me that either they just haven't trained their employees properly to respect and to uh, treat guests like guests, or, you know, this is just a, a structural problem with this company. They either haven't hired the right or the management, it's not coming from the top down that the people who are there spending money at your resort, you know, every single one of those people is important to you. They do not understand that. Until they un- understand that, it will always be another MGM, you know, resort, you know, but a gr- a, with a great building. Yeah. So I don't disagree with anything that you said. Um, I, you know, I will freely admit that I came into the weekend already kind of, for lack of a better word, kind of just in a bad mood. So, you know, little things were probably ticking me off more than they would some other people. But, you know, it's, I, I, you know, I had employees that would, none of the employees that would walk by me in the hallway would even look at me, let alone like say hello. Um, the uh, and I want to talk more about this because it just seems ridiculous. But my phone doesn't work anywhere in that building still. Um, uh, yeah, well, I mean, let's talk about that for a minute because for those people that don't know, Aria seems to have uh, a problem um, with cell phones, specifically uh, people that are on AT&T Wireless or Verizon, which are the two biggest cell carriers in the United States. Uh, it it appears from look what I've cobbled together. There, uh, you know, normally when you build a, a big building like this where a signal would have a, a problem penetrating, you add uh, wireless repeater equipment that uh, basically rebroadcasts those signals throughout the complex. And um, it, it seems that that hasn't been done in every case uh, for, for, for ARIA. So the result is that you basically can't rely on your phone at all. Uh, you'll get pockets of service here and there. But even in my guest room, and I think actually the side of the building you're on has a, has a lot to do with it, but even in my guest room, I couldn't use the phone unless it was up against the window. And, you know, maybe to some people it doesn't sound like a big a big deal, but I was out there by myself, and the only chance I had, only way to connect with anybody was through my phone. So the result was that I would get text messages hours later, um, and it generally is just very frustrating. And so it seems to me, uh, in my mind, totally inexcusable that this has gone on this long. Um, I don't know what the problem is, but at this point, it doesn't matter. It's MGM's problem. Even if it's not, um, they need to do whatever it takes to fix it because it's just out of control terrible. Hunter, I'm going to amplify what you're saying. I'm going to repeat what you're saying with my own cell phone problem repeaters. Uh, it is abominable that you can't even make a phone call or get a text or do anything inside of that building. You know, I know I did not get to see you, even though we had discussed, hey, we're going to be together this weekend. I think I saw you twice because of this. Like, I didn't know where you were. We're trying to message you. No, you know, nowhere, no how, no finding anyone. Now, imagine if you were there for an actual business meeting. You needed to take calls. Imagine if you were there because you were getting married. You know, and you needed to call somebody who arranged something to happen. Imagine you're there for any number of important reasons. 
uh, you know, you're totally cut off from people because of some ridiculously small uh, contractual squabble. You know, just sign a check, sign an agreement. You know, it's 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 a complete hindrance in this day and age to 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 let this type of disagreement completely destroy the somebody's visit. You know, your guest is serious. You can't even get in contact with people. It's ridiculous. Yeah, it it's beyond frustrating. I mean, it was it was a major problem. Continues to be a major problem. And, uh, you know, other resorts have had this problem at opening as well. But, um, you know, I, two things on that point. One, I don't think this long into the process. But two, so what? Okay, so other people have had this problem. Then you know about it, and you should be able to avoid it. This is supposed to be, like, the wonder of the Western world, and they can't even get my cell phone to work. Right. It is beyond ridiculous. Yeah. So... You know, I, there was some good stuff. You had problems at Serrano. I had a fantastic meal there, um, and the service was, was good, if, if not too attentive. I mean, they were over the top. So, I mean, but all that shows is that it's really uneven, which is basically, um, you know, also bad service-wise. You don't want your service to be uneven like that. So, you know, it seems like uh, they're off to a little bit of a, a rocky start. Jeff, I don't know what your experience was like. Maybe uh, you were treated uh, differently. I think that um, personally, my interaction with staff was um, almost entirely uh, positive. My girlfriend and I were there from Sunday through uh, Wednesday through yesterday, <clears throat> and uh, and you know I I really like you guys. Um, I think the look of the property is uh, is uh, fantastic. Um, certainly the greatest thing MGM has ever built. Um, as its own company, um, it's uh, it's quite impressive. Um, I think that unfortunately they, you know, they probably have a little of a uh, style over substance problem. Um, I did have a few uh, small um, problems, and 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 then one bigger one. Um, I think that the. Uh, the, my the big problem I had was when I went to check out Wednesday. I was unable to do it by uh, by on um, my uh, TV, which is my preferred checkout method, and um, talked to. I ta- I called the front desk and ended up going down there to. Uh, they had a uh, they had made a mistake on my um, portfolio, so I went down there and cleared that up. But um, the my interaction with folks was uh was quite good um you know one thing i notice is and and i'm not sure if this is a training problem or what but they they all make a big production about handing you everything with two hands you know like some kind of japanese manners guide or asian manners guide so like if you go to the players club they'll hand you a card with two hands or if you know everybody does that in the place um your your uh, portfolio, your key cards um, are always handed to you with two hands, and and while that's fantastic and and you know appreciated, it, it really doesn't matter to me that much. But but then some of the more substantial things, um, you know, that are that are problems are handled, you know, without like a really uh, caring, commiserating attitude. So. 
I think that, you know, when you emphasize those kind of like superficial things, at least superficial to me, maybe not to their, you know, Asian clientele, maybe that is really a substantial, important um, thing to them. But but when you emphasize that at the expense of making sure that the customer is always happy, um, I think they have work to do. So, you know, I, I think that, you know, o- overall after two months, um, they are definitely ironing out some problems. Um, I'm still a little mystified by some of their, you know, signage issues and some of the strange things. I think the uh, the parking garage, that the uh, walkway that goes from the parking garage into um, the into the main casino building at Aria, the Aria Casino, is very evocative of Venetians, um, which I think is sort of a negative. I think sending people on like a you know on a weird little walkway like that is not you know great design i much prefer the win and encore and bellagio um parking garages um but you know this it's a giant garage and i didn't have a problem finding space there so you know overall i would say that i i love the look of the building in general the people were very nice to me they weren't always able to accomplish what i wanted maybe as quickly as I wanted, but, um, you know, there's room, there's certainly room for improvement. Um, and we'll see how long it takes them to keep getting better. They need to keep getting better, but, um, I think that it's, it's not a hor. They're not off to a horrible start. I think that, you know, a lot of properties do start sort of slow. Let's see how they do, uh, you know, six months out, one year out. You know, I think they've got – I've been there a couple times, not on the rooms as a guest, but at the restaurants and seeing people and just basically lurking around to get an idea of what's going on. And I think they're doing a a decent job. I think the problem is that Wynn has set the bar so high that anything that's not Wynn looks not so good. And one thing that happened to me really crystallized this. I was at Wynn talking with some folks there coincidentally about customer service and, you know, how to appeal to people and stuff. And as I'm leaving the property, I'm going out to South Park, and there's a guy there emptying the trash. And while he's dumping out the trash can, we make eye contact, and he actually smiles and says hi. And I smile and say hi, and it really made me feel more like I was a human being in a building with other human beings who are happy to have me there as opposed to, you know, just some drone walking around with a bunch of other drones doing their jobs and not making eye contact. So I think even little things like that are really important. Definitely. And and I should say, um, Hunter, I think you mentioned, or maybe it was Chuck that said that you didn't get a lot of personal interaction from the workers. Um, you know, I didn't have that much interaction with personnel other than, you know, in the food and beverage and a little bit in gaming and uh, and uh, um, from guest room attendants. But like walking down the hallway past the guest room attendant, they always, you know, smiled and said hello. Um, and I, I, I play uh, I play dice in the casino and uh, and the people there were uh, perfectly professional um, friendly, uh, you know, so, and, and so, you know, I just don't, I don't have much, much of a quarrel with the human interaction side. Um, I wouldn't say that it's any, um, that it's, um, suffers in comparison to any property that I've been to in town. Yeah, Jeff, I, I just want to, uh, uh, also give the craps crews, uh, a big pat on the back. Cause I've, I've put in a lot of hours there and they've been fantastic. Uh, 
you know, great, great bunch of people. And, and some of the other folks, you know, around have been really good too. It's just, it seems like at the important moments for me, uh, you know, I'm getting like service that is uh, indifferent. Like they don't really give a shit that I'm there, you know, and that, and that kind of bugs me. Sure. So, it should. Yeah. You know, I think out of all the times I've been there, I think I had one experience where I left with definitely, you know, this just isn't working out. Most of the other times it's been good. And, um, you know, a lot of the folks I know over there are more the gaming ops people. And so maybe I'm biased, but I think they're doing a great job. And one of the really cool things, they have got the nicest employee cafeteria I've ever seen in the casino. Like just the setup of the place and the quality of the food is outstanding. You know, it, it's, it's actually better than a lot of the buffets I've been to. So the the employees should be happy if that's, you know, I know if I was working there, I'd be pretty happy about that because at least your one free hot meal per shift is going to be decent. Pretty cool stuff. Yeah, I agree with you. I agree with you there. Did we lose Hunter? No, I'm back. I'm <laughs> but I'm here. You guys were great in covering without <laughs> ending. Like, what are these beeping sounds that we keep hearing? <laughs> Does that go out? Uh, in the, does that go out in the podcast? I can fix it. I'll fix right. post this day. <laughs> um, this is already a pretty lo-fi show, so I don't have crappy sound quality by now. Um, you get what you pay for. <laughs> uh, so you look. I mean, I think uh, it's all valid criticism. Um, I think I I wrote that they built a a brand new sparkling beautiful mirage instead of a replacement for Bellagio. I hope that ends up not being true in the long run. Um, but we'll see. Uh, two months in, there's clearly uh, room for improvement. But, um, you know, I think it's better than – it's better we're saying that the service is a problem and the building's fantastic than us saying the building is a disaster, but the people are nice. <laughs> so, you know, they can fix the service. This is something they yeah. can fix. They want to. So, um you know, they're, they could be worse off, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, one thing we uh, haven't even touched on, Hunter, I just want to mention, and, I, and, I, yeah. and I'm pretty sure you agree with me and Jeff might also, but the rooms are fantastic. Yeah. I agree. Yes. Yeah. He does, they, so this, they have one, their one Achilles heel, I think, is just, they are so, um, there's so much technology in there, which, uh, don't get me wrong, I love, I'm, I'm totally into that. But uh, when it doesn't work, the room becomes yeah. like a n- fully non-functional. Um, yeah. I had I had that problem with with the control four system that runs the uh, the whole room. It stopped working basically, uh, and I had to climb underneath the desk and behind something to unplug it and plug it back in. And then it came back <laughs> to life. But you know, I, if most people probably wouldn't have done that, they would have had to call for service. So. Yeah, right. <laughs> that was a little bit of a pain in the ass. But yeah, um the rooms are great. I think uh they they did a nice job um with them and uh so hopefully if they fix their service stuff they can be a standout. Now, uh one thing that I I will say though before we move on um the rates for Aria since it is not almost since it's not full most of the time, the rates are usually uh pretty reasonable compared to other places. So if you don't mind Putting up with some of these little, some of these little annoyances. Uh, now the cell phone thing aside, because honestly I couldn't recommend anybody staying there until they fix that. Let's assume they do fix that. Uh, you know, you might be able to get away with, um, you know, getting a slightly better deal uh, than uh, definitely than a brand new property would ordinarily get. So 
it's at least worth a look, but uh, I think it has some issues. Um, the next thing I wanted to talk about is uh, sort of uh, two things, two topics in one, which is um, since we last spoke, MG Mirage announced that they are uh, going to exit the Atlantic City market, uh, which is a you know an, an important decision that we need to discuss. But in conjunction with that, we got an announcement this week that Wynn Resorts will be uh, are working towards taking over the Foxwoods project in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Uh, and they actually talked about it quite a bit more on the earnings call today. Um, so I'm going to start off with Dave um, as the native Atlantic uh, Citian. I'm not sure what's the right way to say that. Uh, so, you know, how significant is MGM uh, leaving Atlantic City? What does that mean for the market? I say it's really significant, and uh, I wrote an article about this for the business press where basically like this could be the sign of the beginning of the end of Atlantic City because it sends a signal that, you know, if you're going to kick out what might, what by some measures is the biggest gaming company in the world, you, that says a lot about the regulators and their attitudes towards the industry, and it's going to make it very difficult to find investment. The problem isn't that the market is just unprofitable. The problem is that people aren't going to be willing to put in the kind of money they have to do to make it profitable, to be competitive, if they have this regulatory sort of Damocles dangling over them the whole time they're there. You know, you would think that a company like MGM Mirage wouldn't have to worry about this kind of thing, you know, being that they've been through, they, you know, they've been through uh, licensing in several states, in Nevada, certainly. So it's, you know, from that aspect, it's kind of troubling. You know, on the other hand, we don't know exactly what information the Division of Gaming Enforcement uncovered about what's going on in Macau. So who knows what's there? You know, from a PR point of view, definitely Atlantic City looks like the loser in this one. Also, it's it'll be very hard for MGM to find someone to buy it, I think, you know, at a price that would make sense for MGM. So I don't know what's going to happen. You know, I think it's either going to be Boyd or who knows. You know, I, maybe, I would. Yeah. I assume that they have a right of first refusal. You would yeah. know. Yeah. Yeah, and but you know, it's really hard to see who else might be interested in getting in there. You know, maybe Isle of Capri if they could get the money. Um, Penn National has already been pretty dour about the city, and I know Peter Carlino talked about the death spiral. So don't see them doing it, and it really doesn't. They, I think, the regulators really didn't do the city any favors. Um, with everything that's going on there, it's just more, you know, it's just more bad news. I think Dave is, Dave is absolutely right about um, how significant this is for the message it sends to the gaming business about um, New Jersey Atlantic City casino regulation. Um, I've been writing about um, the issue of MGM's uh, um, position in Atlantic City for a few years. Um, when it became clear that the Pansy Ho partnership was going to cause American regulatory scrutiny. Um, and, you know, I thought that, you know, MGM at the time, before the economy turned, um, was following sort of a carrot and stick approach. Um, the carrot was that they would build a city center east, um, five, six billion dollars would include a big sports arena. Um, take care of one of Atlantic City's big remaining issues, which I'll get to in a second. Um, but um, the economy um, put the kibosh on that promise, and um, so they had backed out of that. And uh, 
you know, regulators, uh, and and then the, the the stick approach, which was, um, hey, we'll uh, we'll take our money and leave. Um, they own um, a couple big parcels next to Borgata, plus some additional land, um, you know, not too far from the uh, from the water um, near the uh, or- original Casito Strip, um, away from the marina, um, and so. So what you know what's happened since then is that it became increasingly clear that regulators were uncomfortable with their Ho partnership in Macau, and I think uh, their decision you know it was an obvious one business-wise for them. Um, the the potential they have one of the six concessions or sub-concessions in Atlantic City or half of one, and uh, so you know the the potential to own. You know, let's say one twelfth of the Atlantic City market is, you know, a much bigger has a, a a way bigger upside than the potential of having a very small sliver of a big East Coast market that is expanding by, you know, <laughs> by different cities and states um, every year. So it's you know it's not much of a much of a uh, it doesn't take much of a um, um, you know, much thinking to see which one they prefer. They wanted to have both. I don't think um, MGM, you know, if they could, they'd, they'd keep their half interest in Borgata. It remains the city's best property and probably will for quite some time. Um, the Atlantic City market itself, and Dave has written about this extensively, you know, they, it's their problem has always been, and it's very similar to Macau in this regard, and it? it's, a, it's a day visit place. Um, there aren't a lot of hotel rooms there. Um, Borgata is the first one that opened with um, a couple thousand, um, but there just aren't a lot of hotel rooms. There's no, you know, airport that's bringing a lot of commercial flights in right there. You have to fly into Philly or, um, you know, find a smaller flight into the into Atlantic City. Um, so, and there's no really good convention center. You know, the the where they used to have the. Miss America pageant and some boxing matches, you know, that is not a modern facility. So MGM Mirage would have taken care of the convention side. Um, they need new hotel rooms, um, new properties, which, you know, some of, you know, one of which is stalled. Another one was canceled. The pinnacle one, the revel one stalled. Um, and, and, you know, to go along with Borgata, um, they have a bunch of very weak owners who aren't going to put money into the properties. I'm thinking of Carl Icahn there. Um, and uh, certainly Harris probably isn't investing a lot after opening the new uh, the new <clears throat> tower they, ju- they just opened at the uh, at the Marina Harris. Um, so, you know, overall, it's it's a market that has a lot of trouble and for and for the market to really set itself apart from the from the plentiful options that people have in Connecticut, in, you know, the racetrack slot joints in, in New York, in New York City, um, Pennsylvania, um, casinos that are adding tables, Delaware has slots. For them to, for that, and Maryland is in the process of coming up with a plan to, you know, add slots too. So they really need to separate themselves like Las Vegas has as more than a gambling place. It has to be a convention, a retail, an entertainment, and a hotel destination. Um, and this this MGM loss is crucial there because they had two of the nicest properties that were available for development. Um, so you know it's a it's it's a very big loss for the city. I think the win um, 
you know, and a lot of people on Hunter's blog have pointed this out, the Wynn move into Philadelphia, um, you know, Wynn has been very frustrated by Atlantic City. He's wanted to get in there for a long time. The uh, the recently uh, um, replaced Governor Corzine um, was a, uh, you know, was a, f- a friend of Wynn. Wynn was thinking that he might be able to help him get around the horrible politics of South New Jersey, and in particular the city, uh, the, the Atlantic City itself, um, and get him a spot where he could build one of his style properties. And uh, you know, certainly you, you would presume that if he does get a very nice wind branded, wind style, super quality property in Pennsylvania, in Philadelphia, that he won't opt to compete with himself by uh, building in Atlantic City and. For those, you know, when 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 he told me he wasn't interested in Pennsylvania, they didn't have table games and they had that, you know, horrible 55 percent tax rate. But when table game taxes are, I think it's 12 percent or something very low for everywhere outside of Nevada. Um, you know, when a lot of his, you know, bottom line um, profit comes from table game winnings, that's the win customer. And so Borgata. You know, Foxwoods, Mohegan Sun, those kind of places that, you know, are table game intensive properties. They're going to be taking a big hit from Wynn. Um, Philadelphia is, you know, one of the biggest markets in the United States. And uh, a Wynn property there um, is probably, you know, it, it, to me, it sounds like a, uh, a very good thing for his company, a very good thing for the state of Pennsylvania, and a very, very bad thing for um, the table game market in Atlantic City. If I can well, just politely yeah, read about two points very quickly. First of all, Atlantic City does have a relatively new convention center by the bus station there that is – that's the official Atlantic City convention center, and that pretty much replaced boardwalk halls. So they do have some okay. facilities. Um, second, I – Two had once believed that Harris was not putting money into the casinos just based on the fact that they're a big company. Went back and actually checked the the uh, Casino Control Commission findings, and consistently over the past five or six years, they put more money, more capital investment in their casinos than pretty much anyone else. You know, Trump's really been dribbling at it out, got in some stuff at the Taj, but other than that, he's been dribbling it out, and the Colony Capital casinos have really been minimal. So Harris, you know, besides Borgata, Harris has really been leading the market on that, and I think they should get credit for what they're doing right. I just want to point out one other very interesting thing. Um, Took a look at the Gaming Hall of Fame page, and there are four members of the Gaming Hall of Fame who are either denied licenses, and this doesn't include MGM Mirage, either denied licenses in New Jersey, or just chose to leave rather than face regulatory harassment in New Jersey, and I think that says a lot. That's Wynn, Hilton, and who else? Wynn, Hilton, uh, Perlman, and Elaine Wynn. Oh, Caesars, right. And Elaine Wynn. And Elaine Wynn, since she's <laughs> part of the company, too. Right. To, to pivot back to Wynn, Philadelphia, for a minute, you know, they, they uh, Wynn Resorts had its earnings call today, and Steve Wynn talked a bit about um, their plans there, more specifics than I've seen elsewhere. Uh, it sounds like at least in the foreseeable future, there will not be a hotel, uh, which I believe was always the plan, even with the Foxwoods project. But he he said no hotel rooms. I don't know if that means ever or anytime soon. Um, it will be designed by uh, Wynn Design and Development. He's been working on it, uh, he says, night and day for the past six weeks, and they continue, they will continue doing that. Uh, and, uh, you know, they said they're going. it's going to be different than anything they've ever done, 
because it's going to be relatively low cost, mostly because they don't have to build a high-rise building. Um, it will be, uh, but at the same time, not a box of slots. Uh, it will be, uh, you know, a nice place that people can come and, uh, and play some games and some good restaurants and quickly get in and out. And I'm sure, you know, if you like the wind design aesthetic, it will be, uh, you know, very compatible with that. Um, but it was interesting to hear him talk about it and uh, basically saying, you know, we're going to do this uh, really quickly. Um, there's, since we don't have to build a big high-rise building, we can put this together um, pretty quickly, and uh, it sounds like uh, it should be an interesting project. One really interesting thought, um, so Foxwoods has a share of it. Wynn's going to have a share of it. I wonder where this leaves MGM Mirage, because MGM Mirage is partnering with Foxwoods with MGM Grand Foxwoods. So it's kind of a curious, you know, it's a curious omission that Foxwoods didn't turn to MGM Mirage to develop something. And I wonder whether this has something to do, you know, certainly if they if they were leaving the Atlantic City market and then opening this up, that would raise a lot of eyebrows in Atlantic City. So I don't know. But I think it's, it's, it's an issue. It's probably related to MGM Mirage's uh, cash situation right now. Wynn has the cash to come in and build, um, and MGM Mirage probably does not. Um, you know, and, you know, certainly when, um, has a desire to get, you know, out, you know, on the East coast. Um, but if I had to bet, I would bet that that's the reason unless, unless beneath the surface, there's some, you know, simmering discontent in the Foxwoods MGM relationship. I don't know that that's the case. Yeah. I think that, I think it's curious though. And it's just something I haven't heard anything about. So I was wondering if anybody knew something that I hadn't heard. Here's another theory. Could it possibly be that this, the MGM uh, leaving and putting uh, Borgata in escrow uh, is, a, is the opposite threat from uh, we're going to build city center east? You know, like here's a, hey, we're going to leave, guys. We're going to leave, guys, unless you do this. If they went and did Philadelphia, then they would basically be putting cement on their shoes saying we're really leaving. Do you think there's a chance that maybe they're they're still hoping they can the game? Yeah, this is all just a poker game, you know, and he's mm -hmm. got maybe they're bluffing, but if they you know, if they say we're out and we're going to Pennsylvania, then they're totally out of New Jersey. Well, when I talked to Jim Murray I think three months ago about Atlantic City, he said at the time that they were still hoping that a resolution that would allow them to remain in the city could be worked out. I mean, shortly thereafter, um, they announced that um, it, you know, it couldn't be worked out. And then so after that, they said that they intend to uh, sell their stake. And, you know, I think that Boyd Gaming, you know, would not, you know, they'd love to own that, that place. It's been quite profitable, even in, even in, um, you know, tough times is still the, uh, you know, the best property in the market. And, because of the way the market has evolved um, and with MGM, you know, pulling out and looking like Wynn won't be there, it looks to remain the best property there for quite some time, which is, you know, it's an advantage to be the best, to be, to have the best joint in the city. Yeah, no doubt. But look, I mean, the MGM uh, leaving, I think, leaves me very pessimistic about Atlantic City along the lines of, you know, Dave, your article really struck really struck true to me. I mean, I really uh, identified with what you were writing. I think it's uh, it's 
it's going to be tough times, and it doesn't seem like they really have kind of the environment is not uh, right for being able to absorb this kind of a body blow without uh, you know, major damage. No, definitely not right now. They, they've got to do something. They've got to do something big. Well, moving back to Las Vegas, um, uh, Station Casinos, a, a uh, locals operator that's been relatively troubled uh, in this economic downturn uh, after going through a pretty massive period of expansion over the previous decade. One of some of their properties um, are co-owned with uh, a subsidiary of the uh, Greenspun's organization. Uh, Greenspun's are also known for the Las Vegas Sun, uh, amongst other businesses, Green Valley, other businesses in uh in the Las Vegas Valley, um, there was a, an interesting story uh, about basically um, some uh, discontent brewing between these partners. One of their one of their partnerships is the Green Valley Ranch Station Casino. Um, the, the one of the reasons uh, that the story caught my eye was that it uh, was they're alleging that. Station, which owns which owns other casinos in the valley that you know, that are wholly owned is diverting not only customers, but also better quality material from suppliers. Um, I mean, they, they, I think they use the example of basically cuts of meat. So they're getting the butcher to send the good stuff to Red Rock while Green Valley is getting the scrap. Um, this is interesting for many reasons. One, it's just kind of uh, juicy sounding uh, allegations, but also uh, joint ventures are um, used in other operations, specifically city center. So, Jeff, you know, I don't, I don't want to put you on the spot too much uh, for an affiliate or former employer. But what do you think about all this? Well, you know, it's been an issue that I've, I've, uh, you know, talked about and written about since uh, Green Valley opened in 2001. You know, there are a number of like partnerships like that around the state of Nevada. Um, the Greenspuns and Station each own small minority stakes in the Palms. Greenspuns and um, Station. Um, each own half shares of two big casinos, Green Valley Ranch and Aliante Station, and then um, a few smaller casinos, the Greens, Barleys, and uh, one of the Wildfire casinos. Um, and so, and then in uh, and then there's City Center where um, Dubai World owns half of uh, of. City Center, and then the rest of MGM's properties in the ta- in the city are wholly owned. And then in Reno, um, the family that owns the El Dorado Casino, a very powerful Northern Nevada gaming company, um, owns half of the Silver Legacy with MGM Mirage, which inherited it when they bought Mandalay Resort Group. So there's a number of these um, operations in the in the state, and. The Green Valley um, one, when you know, a year after Green Valley opened, it opened, uh, I think, in December 2001. And a year after it opened, I was writing for the Review Journal at the time, <clears throat> and uh, I did an interview with Brian Greenspun, who uh, ran ran the competing Sun, and uh, and and also his family's gaming enterprise. And I asked him about the issue. I said, you know, what 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 station's incentive to have? Some you know big gambler that they can lure to Sunset Station or to Green Valley Ranch. What's their incentive to have them come to Green Valley, where you know 50% of any winnings, you know you take. And if they got them to play at Sunset, um, you you know they would uh, um, 
you know, they get it all. And he said at the time, and it's the same thing that the folks at MGM say, is that, look, we trust them. Um, we, we think we have safeguards in place to make sure, you know, in other words, sort of trust but verify. Um, we believe that, um, you know, he believed in the power of Green Valley Ranch, um, and it was a logical uh, presumption, I think, at the time. Um, but once, once um, Station opened up a uh, superior property, in uh, in Red Rock, I think that you know you wouldn't think that you know you, even in the locals market, typically proximity is is the most powerful marketing device. Um, people go to the closest place, and Green Valley was in the sweetest demographic spot in the city. Then Red Rock, when it opened, it was in the sweetest, um, but they're close. Um, supposedly, in, in its filing, um, the Greenspun people are saying that MG or the station was luring players, the best players, to go over there. Um, and you're right, the uh, the supply thing, the uh, you know, the, the the garbage goes to Green Valley, and the the choice cuts of meat go to Red Rock. I mean, that's pretty titillating. Um, it, you know, if that relationship breaks down, it'll be interesting to see um, what the upshot is. I think that. You know, the gaming regulators in Nevada have been, have pretty much said, "Hey, you got you're all businessmen. You need to protect yourselves. You need to make sure that you're doing deals that, you know, protect you know that are fair to everyone." I think that you're going to begin to see regulators taking a closer look and insisting on some kind of um, protections because this kind of breakdown. Um, when you have an operator who is uh, operating both partially owned and wholly owned properties, there certainly is a built-in incentive for them to steer business towards their wholly owned properties. So, you know, I don't know what the upshot is going to be. I will say that um, it's it's certainly a very titillating story here in Las Vegas, um, and it's not a good sign for Station. I think that um, the Greenspuns have been sort of back at backers of station in their moves to reorganize and, you know, maybe even acquiring some of the uh, discounted station debt. So it will be interesting to see how this plays out in bankruptcy court, you know, in a potential reorganization, which station announced today. Um, and, and so it's just another wild card in a very, very uh, contentious and, um, you know, sort of uh, um, very, very, you know, very difficult to unravel kind of bankruptcy that's going on for station right now. Yeah, I, this, the uh, the quotes out of the allegations were just um, you know too good to pass up. Which I'm sure why the story got written and it was the way that the way that it did. I mean, <laughs> to imply that you know that the good stuff's going one place and the and I think they called it like the, the, the fifty cent property. I can't remember what, well, their their uh, their term for Green Valley, but it is sort of derogatory implying its status as a non-wholly owned subsidiary. As a stepsister. Um, Hunter, I should mention in terms of MGM um, and Aria versus Bellagio, and I, and also um, MGM Grand and Mirage, the other properties that they own that would probably be targeting the similar customer base as Aria um, and the other city center uh, elements. Um we talked specifically to Bill McBeth about that when uh, I was at the Sun and in business, um, and I talked to Jim Murren about it, and they they uh, they seem you know clear that 
you know, they're staking their reputation, the business success on um, on Arian, that it won't be a problem. But, you know, to me, it seems like if you have a, you know, a big, high-rolling, $3 million credit line guy from, uh, um, you know, Guangdong province flying into the city, and, uh, you know, he asks his host, well, what do you think, Bellagio or or Aria? I mean, it's got to be tough. You know, I don't, I, you know, you'd almost have to have a mechanism in place where the host's bonuses are the same, where, you know, I mean, that they're not based on some kind of net win for MGM, um, you, or, you know, the hosts would have to be equally responsible for, you know, to Dubai world. I don't know how they do that. I'd be interested to know, um, you know, how they're protected. It's very, you know, I, I mean, a lot of people on your blog, Hunter, have raised questions about it. Um, and even, you know, some people even, you know, suggesting that Bellagio is intended to remain as the highest, you know, property in their pecking order. I don't think that that's true. Uh, but um, I'd be very interested to know exactly what kind of contractual um, commitments they have other than their word or their honor. Um, and in this business, you know, honor um, doesn't really last all that long. I think right now uh, customers are self-selecting Bellagio. Um, and, I, you know, I, I've heard uh, – and granted, in the opening weeks of ARIA um, – the word I got was that many guests were uh, moving to Bellagio after a couple of nights at Aria. Um, wow. Now, what I'm hearing, what I'm hearing now, is that that's slowing down, and that uh, Aria guests are staying put without, you know, they're, they uh, things are improving, and thus they are happy to stay in one spot. But it is it is very interesting and something definitely to watch um, as uh, as it progresses. Um, then they then they better then they better invest in some of the uh, maintenance issues at Bellagio, like getting rid of the the shrunks in the room with the uh, the giant old school TVs in them. Well, that's true. I mean, and you know, MGM has that problem across all of their quote unquote legacy properties, is that they basically put a big halt on all of their uh, capital expenditure room upgrade projects. Some of them uh, were already sort of being stretched in terms of the amount of time that they normally do between these projects. And given the bad economy, they put big pause on a lot of stuff. And there's no doubt that some of those properties, while passable, are uh, in desperate need of some uh, some spending to uh, bring them up to modern standards. Um, I got a couple other topics on the docket here. Uh, Quarterly results are starting to come out. I don't know how interesting this is because I don't think there's anything um, too dramatic uh, with regards to these numbers. Some people saw some hope in ERA's figures because they were swinging back into the black. So, uh, you know, last quarter, a big part of their uh, red ink was permanent charges that they took um, and not really cash flow related. Uh, I don't know. Is there anything in these quarterly results that we uh, that we want to focus on? I mean, Steve Bannon gave normal song and dance about how we're a Chinese company and how America sucks. Um, so that's for you know the ten thousandth time now. Uh, I don't. They did well in China. They did not so great in Las Vegas. Uh, you know, and it seems like Las Vegas is a similar story. 
Well, well, a lot of these companies are benefiting from the positive comparison with the, you know, horrible, horrible compare, you know, fourth quarter of 2008 when most of the operators had to take gigantic goodwill write downs based on the diminishing value of their brands and their um, expected uh, cash flow multiple value. And so uh, it's, uh, you know, I think that they're benefiting from that, just like we're going to see most numbers this year. Um, tourism and gaming revenue are probably going to, you know, we've we've had two straight years of bad numbers. Um, so even if the numbers aren't much of an improvement, they won't be down as much as they were the last comparison quarter. Chuck, did you want to say something? Yeah, I was. Yeah, Jeff pretty much uh, got what I was. Some of what I was going to say. It just it, it's it's worth noting after whatever, 30 calls in a row where we played the funeral march, that it seems like, uh, you know, they they don't sound as grim as they have in the past. So that, that obviously means either everything's kind of leveled out or we're on the uptick. Yeah. Well, look, I, there's no doubt that in, at least in some properties, room rates are starting to recover, uh, specifically talking about wind properties, both wind Las Vegas and Encore, um, their room rates are getting back, uh, you know, to the point where for a while there they were just as low as anybody else in the city uh, or, or properties of comparable pedigree. Um, but, you know, the last couple of times I've checked, they've been, you know, a good 20, 30, 40 percent higher than the Bellagios and Palazzos and Venetians of the world. So, you know, I assume they wouldn't be doing that unless uh, things were starting to get a little, at least a little bit better. And uh, it sounds like uh, they're pretty proud and excited about the the um, Switch Beach Club that's going to be opening uh, in in late May at Encore, um, right perfectly in time for uh, Memorial Day and all that good stuff. So, you know, um, getting better little by little. But uh, as as Mr. Wynn likes to say, they are a Chinese company now. So, definitely. you see Sheldon Adelson saying that quite a lot now too. Yeah, well, you know, Sheldon is a, is a big fan of, of China, and uh, both of those guys, uh, they sometimes say some things about China and uh, the government there that kind of make you scratch your head a little bit. But if I had billions of dollars tied up in a foreign country, I'd probably be pretty uh, bullish on it as well. Um, Lake Las Vegas, ill-fated projects um, or just a victim of the economy? Uh, what, do you, what do you? I mean, we have two locals on this call. What do you guys think? To me, like Las Vegas, always kind of seemed like this weird aberration. A little bit of both. You know, the problem with the Ritz Carlton is that they had a lot of their revenues came from the luxury meetings market, and in 2008 and 2009, the luxury meetings market basically disappeared. Companies that, you know, companies are basically moving to hotels that don't have the name resort the word resort in their name because they don't want the shareholders to think that they're going off in these luxury retreats like AIG did in Orange County back in 2008. So part of it's the economy and just a general slowdown in gaming, but part of it for the Ritz-Carlton was because they were vulnerable. And a lot of it too is because when I've gone there, the place has really been moribund. You know, it just never, it seems like it never really clicked. Even Even in like the heyday, it was slow. Well, and that's that's true. Um, the pro- the first hotel to open there 
was the uh, Hyatt Lake Las Vegas, which uh, was later bought out by Lowe's. Lowe's, when they took it over, they closed their rinky-dink little casino that had, uh, you know, maybe a, a little 100, 200 slots and a few tables. Um, they closed that right away. Even when Hyatt owned it, it was only open for like, you know, 12 hours. It, you know, it sort of had, uh, you know, grocery store hours in the Midwest. Right. Um, and so um, that that property has never, um, you know, been a gambling property. Ritz-Carlton opened without a casino, but adjacent to the Casino Montalego that was, you know, built by um, a uh, um, a uh, Alaska tribe that was, you know, fleeced by some fast-talking music men who, uh, you know, convinced them to, you know, invest some of their... Uh, trust fund money and I don't know if it was from oil or what but they took a bunch you know you know tens of millions of dollars and poured it into building a very luxurious very nice um, small casino casino Montalego and uh, hi, you know Dan Reichardt's former president of Caesars Palace was going to run it for him and uh, they you know the casino has never done any business they really felt like they opened with probably the best um, for players, slot payouts around, at least it's hard to tell on real slots, but on video poker, they had exceptionally strong payouts. But local customers, even if they get full pay video poker, aren't going to drive to Timbuktu. And East La you know, I mean, Lake Las Vegas is a very long drive um, unless you live, you know, close to Boulder Highway and Henderson. And even there, there's a lot closer options. So, you know, this the idea of being very player friendly might have got them a little business, but the people who are lured by that are, you know, sort of advantaged players who aren't, you know, are pretty smart about how they play video poker. They're not winning much from them. So the casino has never done well. They eventually switched from that strategy to uh not having very good payouts on their slots, which, you know, took away what little business they had left. They took to closing numbers, you know, their table games, you know, closing them up so that people couldn't be confident that there'd be a, a blackjack or a dice game open at a certain hour. Um, the whole place became less and less busy, which, you know, it's sort of a, a self-fulfilling prophecy. The less busy it is, the less people want to go there next time. So um, that play, when that place died... Um, I'm sorry, when the Ritz-Carlton announced it was closing, that was sort of the death knell for um, the Montalego Casino. And I think what it's going, there's a Montalego Village, there's a bunch, there's some hotel rooms associated with Montalego Village that were intended to be sold as condos till the real estate market um, collapsed. That Montalego Village is probably not long for the world either. So you're really seeing, um, you know, well, you know, probably the Lowe's can stay open, although I'm not certain that it will. But for, in terms of commercial purposes at Lake Las Vegas, two of the three golf courses have uh, have been closed. I mean, the place is really, uh, you know, imploding all around itself. It's pretty, it's pretty sad. And if you're somebody who spent at the peak of the market in 2005, if you spent $750,000 for a condo that probably worth 200 or 250 now you're pretty upset yeah you're gonna jump in the lake <laughs> i mean 
it's uh, <laughs> I'm imagining tumbleweeds rolling through there. I mean, it, and it's like a it's like a really pretty spot. I mean, it really it, it could have been awesome in some other city or location. I mean, it just. I, it's, I don't know. it's beautiful. You could make it work in Vegas too. I think there it, there's a real need for a place that's out of Vegas, you know, where you can you can go, either families, which I know is in the big casino market, but you know, you can just get out of town and go someplace a little bit different. You get kind of stir crazy living in Vegas when you've got to drive four hours to get to L.A., even longer to get to Phoenix. Because it's kind of nice to have a place you can go, just to get out of town for a little bit. So it'd be nice having that a half hour away. But the you know as far as the Monte Lago Village goes, there just weren't enough open stores, not enough attractions, and I, I think that's really hampered the place. Yeah, true. I mean, it was it's a it was a beautiful spot. I loved taking out of town's guests to uh, Sunday brunch back when it was the Hyatt. I haven't been back to it as the Lowe's as Lowe's, but. Um, and I've heard, you know, a lot of people had good things to say about the Ritz-Carlton, too. It just was not a, um, you know, I think that the companies that built, uh, built when times were, were really good and it was probably pretty expensive to get the land and to build it. And, uh, you know, the, it's no longer quite as easy to pay on your debt when you can't get very much per, you know, um, you know, per room night or whatever. And, you know, now... The question is, can somebody else come in and uh, buy and operate those places, or will it become a you know multi-billion-dollar ghost town out there? Um, yeah. you know, the city of Henderson is is certainly you know they have a lot of uh, you know pro, you know taxable property that they're they're certainly hoping that they get to keep collecting taxes on um, in Clark County. I, I I don't know. I think the jury's still out on whether that entire. Uh, you know, re- development is going to uh, have some big, big, or even more big problems in the future. Yeah. Um, lastly, one more thing I want to touch on uh, is uh, the president. Uh, the president was in Las Vegas uh, last week. Um, very famously, over the past year and change, he has made at least two public statements that many people took as him putting down Las Vegas. The most recent, I think he made some kind of comment about people saving for college instead of going on a Las Vegas vacation. Um, You know, he came to Las Vegas. He was uh, there raising money for Senator Reid, spoke at City Center. Much was made of his comments, and he responded. I think he thought he was trying to put it to rest by saying, uh, you know, he loved Las Vegas, being unequivocal about it. Now, my question is this, um, especially to the two locals on this call, because I saw both Sheldon Adelson and Steve Wynn say, and I'm going to paraphrase, the the president is going out of his way to trash Las Vegas. Personally, and I don't, you know, I don't live there, so uh, maybe my opinion doesn't matter as much, but personally, the way I took his comments were careless, um, offhand comments, but really, if you read the text is I don't you know, I don't think people should be blowing money on vacation anywhere if they need to save money for college. But how big of a deal was it really? Um and, you know, are these guys just uh, making a big deal out of something because it is an interesting story and it keeps them on uh T V. I mean what what do you guys really think? Was this blown out of proportion and uh, how damaging was it really to to uh to the resort industry in Las Vegas? I think it kind of does get overblown. I think definitely the um, business travel comments were much more 
had a, had a much worse effect. I think part of the problem is that Vegas really has to stay out of politics and kind of above politics, you know, regardless of all the local stuff going on here. You know, it really – when you're just trying to get people to come here and have a good time, you don't want to politicize that and make that a political thing. So anytime they can just get get that aspect of Vegas, you know, in the political arena and uh, partisan stuff out of the news, I think that's good. And to say, hey, come here and have fun. Worry about the other stuff when you're at home. I, 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 I agree with that. I think that, you know, when you look at the statements um, that Obama made, um, first of all, Las Vegas is the brand for resort casino gambling. Um, and so, you know, in the first case, when he says companies getting bailouts shouldn't be going on, you know, junkets to Vegas or whatever he said that was close to that. Um, and then in the second case, when he says you shouldn't be blowing your college savings on Vegas. Well, I mean, those are sensible things. Now, you know, Vegas might prefer that he would just say in a casino, you know, or, you know, on some you know, spa vacation or whatever, you know, that, that leaves us out specifically. Um, but I think that, you know, what Obama was saying is, was, was totally sensible. Now, the interesting thing is the way the, is the reaction that takes place. First place, the first, in the first case, there's the politicians and I mean, our, our local local and state politicians, they can't help themselves. They have to be seen as defending Las Vegas and Nevada. So even though it's counterproductive by complaining about it and making it into an issue, it it reinforces this thing about this, this sort of bad message about Las Vegas. If everybody was savvy enough and smart enough to just shut the STFU, they would, they, they would, no one would, no one would even know about it. It's just an offhand remark in a speech, but they can't, especially Oscar Goodman, but our local blabbermouth congresswomen, our stupid moronic governor, every one of them has to get in, get in, in play as defending, as defending the city and the state. And it makes it into, it makes the news cycle last days instead of a minute or two. And then I would add in the media, um, you know, and, and, and as a part of that, and, and, and we certainly covered the first Obama comment, um, you know, in, intensively, you know, it's, it's like you have, you feel compelled to put those questions to politicians and, you know, of course, they're too, you know, they're more, so much more interested in themselves than the, in terms of the actual impact of the city. They can't, um, that, you know, they can't restrain themselves from harming the city by, 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 by going along with the media questions. You know, that's the role of the media, I guess. But to me, it just seemed like such a sensible thing that Obama said. Um, and I, I don't quarrel with the thing he said. I guess in terms of Las Vegas, we'd wish that he wouldn't use, cite us specifically. But we are the biggest, you know, we're the 800-pound gorilla of the casino business. And it's probably the most evocative thing to say about a bad way to spend college money. So I don't blame Obama. I think that it may have been politically you know, less than astute to, you know, for the second time do it. But I think our politicians bear the brunt of the, of 
the uh, criticism because they're they're dumb enough to fall into the trap of making it an issue. So, you know, that's my, my big complaint. Every time I see Oscar open up his big yap, and I typically like Oscar, but that this is an issue where he hurt the city. He did not help it. And the same goes for Berkeley and Titus and Gibbons, all of them um, real boneheads on that issue. So I agree with everything that you just said. I think we'll let that be the last word on that topic. And I, I was ready to close up shop, but I just saw an interesting, one interesting comment that I want to get a quick reaction to before we go. Apparently, there's a Financial Times piece online indicating that Texas Pacific, one of the private equity firms that owns Harris Entertainment, has been buying up the debt of the Palm. Now, I, this is coming from uh, Steve Fries, uh, who just posted this on his blog. And he's saying that the sourcing is a, is a lot of anonymous sources, though there are more than one. Um, so, you know, the question is, would Harris try to position themselves to take over the Palms as they did with Planet Hollywood? I don't personally, I don't think of the Palms as a distressed property, but since they're private, their finances are a bit of a secret. Um, interesting. Uh, anything to this? You think that uh, you can, can anyone imagine Harris making a play like this or is this just, uh, you know, financial uh, windfall for Texas Pacific, assuming that they can make some money on uh, some some cheap debt? Yeah, I saw that, and I, to me, it doesn't make any sense at all, you know, because they have just acquired Planet Hollywood, which would seem to be substantially the same market as the Palms, and they're really working on incorporating that into their properties. And there's also rumors about Penn National being interested in the Rio and getting pretty far in talks, and some other folks looking around at the Rio. So I think, if anything, they're looking to, to get out of that part of town, not buy more, and it just wouldn't – it would make no sense – for them to buy the Palms. You know, the reason why they bought Planet Hollywood was because it was a freshly renovated casino. It had just been redone. They thought it had a good brand. You know, you really, if you're going to buy another casino that competes directly with it, that defeats the whole purpose. And I, I really couldn't see this happening, especially since they are probably going to be selling the Rio soon. I don't yeah. think that, and I would say that I don't see Palms and Planet Hollywood competing directly. Um, Planet Hollywood is just another... Um, as far as I'm concerned, I mean, it may have a flashy uh, neon uh, billboard facing city center and a bunch of and a bunch of flashy young people type things inside. But I think it's really it's another big box like Treasure Island and Monte Carlo and and Luxor, just another sort of, uh, you know, big three, four thousand room property on the strip that doesn't really have that much of a significant image. It's not that cool. I would say that Palms is cool um according to uh -oh. hello uh oh oh she lost <laughs> in mid uh in what's in that mid prognostication it's white <laughs> yeah was there a problem there yeah no, i think you, you forgot out. to put a it sounded like put a quarter in the machine yeah we missed we lost you there yeah sorry am i am i can you hear me or no now we can yeah oh Okay, well, anyway, I'm just saying I don't think the Palms is – I think the Palms is a lot cooler than Planet Hollywood. I think this is Texas Pacific making a smart a smart position in their debt. If if Palms' debt has been somehow discounted, they may be trying to uh, – they may be trying to buy it if they, you know, they think that it's almost certain to be paid back. I can't imagine that the Palms is in danger of not paying off their debt, although they did borrow a bunch to build the condo tower and the fantasy tower, but – they should be able to pay off their debt. It's probably just an astute business decision by Texas Pacific. 
but I, but I don't think Planet Hollywood and Palms compete for the same customers. I think Palms competes in the nightclub business with you know Bellagio and Wynn and Encore and and Tao at the Venetian and the Hard Rock. Um, I think the Planet Hollywood is really just a mid market um, you know dorm and uh, not a competitor of the Palms. Well, I think it's definitely going after a younger demographic than, say, the Flamingo. Yes, they tried to do that. I think if you look, if you look at the uh, the people who are staying at the Aladdin, I mean, I, I mean the Planet Hollywood. I think it's it's just sort of a middle strip kind of. You know, their 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 clientele probably a little more affluent than Flamingo and Bally's, but very you know a little less affluent than Paris, Luxor, Treasure Island, you know Mirage, um, you know, and that's that their pricing reflects that. Um, Palm still is able to d- d- demand some, you know, higher prices, and and uh, in terms of, I think popular culture, Palm still has a pretty strong image as one of the you know cooler spots where you're going to run into celebrities and NBA people. I don't think Planet Hollywood has that image. I think uh, I think Planet Hollywood thinks they're competing with the Palms, but they're really not. That's what I think too. <laughs> um, I think we're going to call it uh, call it a day. Um, I want to say thank you to you guys. Uh, always a lot of fun. Uh, I'm going to go around the table, and um, if you guys uh, want to let anybody know where they can track you down, um, <clears throat> feel free. So, Dr. Dave, where can people find you? People can find me at gaming.unlv.edu and divescast.com and on Twitter at unlvgaming. Yes, definitely follow Dave on Twitter. He said he was only going to do like 10 minutes a day, but he's already yeah. <laughs> he's addicted now. He can't stop. Yeah. So I uh, wish you guys had told me how much fun it was. It is fun. <laughs> it is. Uh, Mr. Jeff Simpson, what about you? Simpson Las Vegas at yahoo.com. Email me anytime. All right. And Mr. Chuck S. Monster, where can people find you? VegasTripping.com. Excellent. You can track me down at ratevegas.com. I want to say thanks again to you guys. Have a great weekend. Thanks. Take care, guys.